I'm Grant, an engineering and technology leader who will share the secrets of IT with you. Listen up, because we're about to get into it. So this is where we've come to. I asked you all recently what you wanted me to talk about in this next episode, and y'all have decided that I'm going to talk about how to handle a narcissist. Not technology, not career progression, but dealing with people who are very self-centered and self-focused. Now, if that were it, I think that we could all learn how to deal with these people in the regular course of our lives. But usually, it's not just self-centered and self-focused. It also comes at the expense of other people's well-being. Sometimes there's gaslighting. Sometimes there's abuse. There's all sorts of weird behavior from people who are in this category that, that I'm calling narcissist, right? Now, I'm not a psychologist, so I want to preface all of this with the fact that I'm not saying this in a clinical or diagnostic sense. I'm not actually qualified to do that. I'm using the term loosely to describe people who are highly self-interested and self-aggrandizing at the expense of others. These are the features at their core inside, and they often cover these things up or hide this fact about themselves in order to get ahead, to achieve their own goals. Unfortunately, we have to deal with these types of people, whether it's in our personal lives or at the office. And you know who I'm talking about, the ones who act like they're at the top of the food chain regardless of their title. They're in charge, or they, they feel like they're in charge. They like to dictate direction to people and control people, and micromanage them. Sometimes they're very outgoing and charming, at least publicly. Other times they're outright mean and nasty. And let me tell you, they're always nasty when you get cornered by them privately. Everything else that they do is just a show to get them what they want. Not being rude and mean is just a mask, and sometimes it slips when they're talking. And you'll find these people every once in a while. And when you do, it's important to not take what they do or say personally, because manipulation is something they do to everybody that they know. It's all about gaslighting, manipulation, and abuse. And you are just an obstacle in their way. You're an object. You're not a person. So when you know what you're dealing with, when you're dealing with a narcissist, you've identified this person, knowing those things can help you get through the confrontation or the conflict or at least set up boundaries for yourself so that you can maintain your own sanity as you're being gaslit because you can't change these people, okay? We're going to talk about all these things in depth a little bit at a time, but that kind of summarizes the topic of today, and I hope that you can learn from my experience of dealing with these people over the past 16 years. Had plenty of, of opportunity to find and learn about these folks, and I've had some wins and losses throughout my career too. Early on, more losses than wins, and then as I got more mature, more confident in what I knew in technology and my career, it's very difficult to be gaslit for me today. And so I think that's a, a self-journey, a, a progress that we all have to go through on our own in order to get to the place where I finally am today, uh, but it was a lot of hard-fought and hard-earned wisdom uh, that I want to share with you today. So let's put this into perspective then. Throughout my career, I've worked with hundreds of people directly. During this time, I've dealt with probably about a dozen people that I would classify as narcissists using my loose definition. And the higher up in the career ladder that one goes, the more frequently I've found these people. Now again, I'm not a psychologist, but I can read statistics and understand them. So in the general population, 
you'll expect about 1 in 200 people to have narcissistic personality disorder. So that's the, the clinical diagnosis. So the number of people who are self-interested and manipulate others is going to be a lot higher than, what is that, half of a percent of the population. But that, I mean, even 1 in 200 is a substantial number of people that you're going to meet. If you work with, you know, a thousand people in your lifetime, there's going to be, what, five of those that are narcissists? And I'm of the opinion that five is even way too many. Once you've dealt with one of these people, you're going to just never want to do it again. But you get better with it over time. And so taking those five people and then blurring the lines a little bit on that statistic, you could end up working with, you know, 20, 40 people who are just manipulators and um, all that stuff. So this is a really good skill to have in your back pocket, uh, how to engage with these folks. And again, now these statistics are in the general population. This is also field dependent. So for those of you who are going into tech, or maybe even if you listen to this podcast and you work in a different industry, those numbers are going to differ for you. So if you look, um, it's I think it's first year medical students, this uh, one in 200 number changes to 34 in 200 or 17% instead of half of a percent. And then if you have a military background, it's actually 40 in 200. 20% of the people in the military have narcissistic personality disorder. So those numbers are alarming to me, especially if uh, I had come from one of those industries. Uh, I myself wanted to go into the medical field. And so maybe it is just a good point of reflection to say, maybe I'm one of these people and to do a self inventory or self evaluation. And then you can rest assured the fact that you're, you were worried about it and decided to evaluate yourself means you're not a narcissist because narcissists actually do not believe narcissism is a bad thing. And if you confront them directly and you ask, hey, are you a narcissist? They'll actually say, yes, I am. And they're probably a little proud of it because they see it as a superpower for themselves. Thankfully, you don't have to just take my word for any of this. You can do a quick Google search and confirm everything that I'm sharing with you. It's well known about narcissists, how they behave and how they act and their opinion of themselves. But this information isn't usually something that we come across in our day to day unless we're seeking it out. So this may be the first time you're hearing it and you're probably as worried and concerned as I was the first time I heard it. And the more you interact with these types of people, the more you'll realize they're living in a totally bizarre world that you and I don't live in. And so we have to learn the rules of engaging with them in order to do it effectively. So we'll get to patterns of abuse and gaslighting, and I'll define what all of that stuff means in a little bit here. But before we go down that direction, I want to key in on the two types of narcissists that you may interact with. There's a vulnerable and grandiose narcissists. The vulnerable ones are likely to be more defensive and view the behavior of other people as hostile towards them. So in the corporate world, you may recognize this as the person who's defensive when you offer help. They may think you're trying to take credit away from them by swooping in and saving the day. Because again, their world revolves around them and you are just an obstacle in their way to get what they want. Grandiose narcissists, on the other hand, usually have an overinflated sense of importance and a preoccupation with status and power. So these are the ones that you're going to see in the limelight all the time, and they may even turn into a different person when you meet with them one-on-one -on -one outside of a public setting where they are very comfortable and they enjoy it. While these two types of narcissists look very different, their behavior patterns are exactly the same. And they all share the same uh, idea that you are an obstacle in their way to getting what they want. 
I'm going to deep dive here into narcissism uh, research because I think it's a, a good place to do that. So Washington University in St. Louis conducted three different studies and published them in the Journal of Personality and Social Psychology. What they did was they asked people on campus to measure themselves, how they, how they saw themselves, and how they believed they were seen by others. Through this scoring mechanism, they found that narcissists tended to rate themselves higher in being intelligent, physically attractive, likable, and funny when compared to their peers. Interestingly, they also rated themselves higher of the negative aspects of narcissism, such as being power-oriented, impulsive, arrogant, and prone to exaggerate their own abilities. In other words, they're aware that they are narcissists. There is also a correlation between narcissism and having a reputation for narcissism. So they had to rate how others perceived them, and they were pretty close. They were on the money for how other people perceive them. So they know they have a reputation as being a narcissist. And so it asks, it begs the question, how can they maintain an inflated self-image even though they know how they're perceived by others? And the explanation goes that maybe others are just too dumb to recognize their brilliance. Or maybe others are jealous of them. It always go back, goes back to a rationalization of why they're on the top and why other people are not. Now, I want to bring up one last point uh, before we move on to other topics related to this one. And that's the fact that narcissists are masters of first impression. They have a hard time forming long-term relationships, whether that's professionally or in their personal lives. Um, usually their relationships, their dating life suffers as well. So they, they make a great first impression and they know it and they capitalize on this in order to manipulate people to get what they want in the short term. So that's, a I guess, another thing for us to consider as we talk through abuse patterns. We've talked a lot up to this point about what a narcissist is. And now I think it's time to shift the conversation into abuse patterns and behavior patterns because that's really where it impacts you and I, how these people behave and how it impacts me personally. Because I don't like feeling bad. I don't like being angry. I don't like being sad. And narcissists do a lot of things that make me feel the, that way. So what can you do about it? The first step is to recognize the behavior. Gaslighting seems to be the very first place that narcissists go when they're confronted on pretty much any issue at all. Gaslighting is basically trying to convince you that you, you didn't really perceive the situation right. You felt, you know, you felt attacked or whatever you felt, um, but I didn't mean that. And here's why I didn't mean that and why you shouldn't be offended. And basically it's me trying to worm my way out of the confrontation uh, so I can continue to manipulate you. There is an acronym that goes along with gaslighting called DARVO. Uh, DARVO is usually used in the context of, uh, I believe it's sex offenders, but the pattern remains true for pretty much all gaslighting, and it stands for Deny, Attack, Reverse Victim and Offender. Basically, the person who is being confronted tries to play the victim card. They begin by denying what, what happened. It's like, oh, sorry, um, that's not really how I meant that to come out right? Um, or your perception of what happened is not, not correct. And here's why. Most people will stop at the denial phase, let the person who's gaslighting them win this, in, this round because maybe they were wrong. We always want to assume positive intent from the other person. But if you push the uh, narcissist on this and they move through denial, they eventually get into the attack phase. And instead of denying what happened, they spin it around and say, I can't believe that that's what you think. 
I'm not sure what you're talking about. Um, I'm confused by what you're saying. Or even, what's wrong with you? You've got trust issues. Why do you think I'm the one who's going behind your back and doing this stuff? So it, it goes subtly from denial into attack. And then finally, they move into reverse victim and offender stage. Realizing that they can't deny the situation, they can't attack you and get you to back down, what they do is try and play and prey on your emotions and uh, pretend as though they're the victim. So even, okay, maybe, maybe this did happen, but I'm hurt here. I only did that because I felt like you didn't value me. Or I only did that because I thought you were trying to take credit away from me. So I'm the one who deserves to have some empathy shown to me in this moment. And what's funny about this whole pattern is that it's not specific to narcissists. And they're not doing this intentionally. This isn't like a strategy they've thought through. This is just a typical pattern that people who are trying to manipulate another person follow. So it's, it's a narcissist. It's anybody who's trying to preserve a relationship with you. You may have even done this yourself. So it's something to take note of because when you're interacting with somebody and your relationship seems really great with them until one day you have a conflict and they pull out the Darvo pattern, that's something that you should take note of. It may indicate that you're actually working with a narcissist and you didn't just have a simple misunderstanding this time around. The reason why that's important is that if you're working with a narcissist, you really need to change your goal. Oftentimes, working through conflict, we're trying to come to terms with one another. Either split the difference or I need to learn the other person's perspective so that I can get on board with their plan or vice versa. None of that works when you're dealing with a narcissist. What you need to do is shift your mindset away from reconciliation and getting on the same page because none of those facts matter. The narcissist only cares about their goals. You need to shift into damage control mode and try and get out of the conflict as soon as possible because I'll tell you from firsthand experience, this will escalate until it blows up entirely. I'll share a story about that here in a little bit, but focus on what your goals are. If you're dealing with a narcissist, what do they want? Try and identify their goals and then figure out how you can disengage without just giving in to everything that they want because that's not the right way to deal with a problem either. Gaslighting is abuse in its purest form. Don't consider it anything less than that. In your personal life, if you're dealing with a narcissist, you can just stop dealing with that person. You can either leave the relationship, not that it's easier said than done. You can leave a relationship where you can just stop hanging out with a person or talking to them. It's something that you have control over in your personal life. But in a professional life, sometimes you have to work with this person no matter what. You can't always uh, get this person fired just for being a manipulator and a gaslighter. Um, and oftentimes when you do go down that route, you have to basically take notes of every single interaction you have with this other person and build a case for why they're bad at their job or how they're being manipulative so that they can get fired or, or managed in some manner to improve your situation. Now, that's a whole lot of extra overhead that we don't always have time to deal with because we're busy. We have jobs to do. And taking on a whole nother career of managing my narcissistic coworker isn't something that I have time or, or um, the ability to stay up with, especially if you're working in a different time zone. So these are all realities that we've got to deal with. And so my recommendation here is to figure out some way to keep the narcissist on an island 
touch base as infrequently as possible and keep them out of your business so that they're not creating uh, conflict and drama for you at work in the office. They cannot change. They don't want to change. And as long as you are keeping them from their goals, you're an obstacle and they're dangerous for you in your career because they will lie on you behind your back. They will create all sorts of stories and drama to make you look like the bad guy. So you need to disengage as a strategy of protecting yourself. Related to the DARVO pattern is another behavioral pattern that I want to share with you. I don't have an acronym to go with this one. This is more um, based on my observations of people. So the pattern goes like this. They start off with denial. That didn't happen. And if it did happen, if you press the matter and, and corner them on that, then it wasn't that bad. Well, if you press that, if it was bad, well, it wasn't a big deal. And if it is a big deal, at least to you, then it's not my fault. And if it was my fault, well, I didn't mean it. Maybe it was, it was a joke. And then if I did mean it, you deserved it. And you can see how rapidly that goes from blame and deflection and denial right into attack at the very end. And that's why these people are so dangerous because at the very end, once you, once you have gone through this chess game of cornering them and showing them information and pressing the matter, you eventually get to the, well, you deserved it anyways line. And that's essentially the end of the game. There's nowhere that you can go from there. There's no way to win in that encounter. Um, they're not going to change. And uh, hopefully by this point in time, you've documented every encounter and every situation with them. You finally get them to admit that what they did, they did intentionally and deliberately for whatever reasons they've got. And so what do you want? Would you like a, a medal or some sort of recognition that you have cornered and outsmarted them and got them to admit what they did? It's exhausting. So don't play their game. You need to change the rules and play a different game that will let you focus on your work, delivering what you were trying to do at your job and keep them away from you because you're never going to reconcile and you're never going to win when you play the game on their terms. I think this is a good place to uh, go into story time mode. So I'll share with you the experience I had dealing with a narcissist who was actually um, a manager on one of my teams in my career. I won't tell you what company or, or what year it was, but it was a very real problem. So I had a manager who managed one of my teams and he was doing a poor job. He was very controlling. He micromanaged people on the team and he was stuck in waterfall mode of operation. If you're familiar with waterfall versus agile, think uh, Gantt charts, project planning, assigning resources to work or resources to projects. Uh, aside from the fact that I abhor using the term resources to talk about people, um, it was just a very old school controlling way of managing a team. And it doesn't jive with my leadership style. I'm very open and uh, transparent. I am very agile. I don't follow rigid dates. Uh, dates are of relative importance as long as we're providing value as a, a delivery team. And so I didn't appreciate him bringing in this methodology of, well, that's the date. We've got to hit it. We've got to work over weekends. We've got to work extra hard. Uh, and if we don't, you, you're to blame because you didn't work hard enough to hit the date, which was made up to begin with. 
Um, so anyways, there, there were some things I came in, I was managing him and tried to get to know him and his style before I really dove in and started working on, Hey man, we need to change the way that you're managing the team. You need to get with this whole, uh, being agile thing. And, and we talked in depth about how he could treat his people better. And he'd always promise me, it's like, yes, Grant, that's wonderful. I love, I love these thoughts you're bringing into the team. I want to do this stuff. Uh, and he made a, what appeared to be a very sincere attempt at changing, but only when I was in the room, when I would jump on the, the calls, uh, his entire manner of interacting with the team would change. And I knew about this because the engineers would tell me behind closed doors in our own one-on-ones because I set up skip level meetings with them in order to go around this manager because I didn't trust him. And the engineers would share with me um, like bluntly, hey Grant, when you're not in the room, this is what happens. And so it was just, um, it set me down this course of documenting every single interaction I had with the engineers and every single interaction I had with the manager in order to basically keep the story straight for myself. I was starting to get very confused with the interactions because what I would see in one meeting or what he would tell me wasn't actually what had actually happened or the story would change later and it would change so many times that I had trouble even following what was happening. And so I ended up for, it ended up being nine month long process, but I took a ton of notes, every interaction, I would sit down and spend 15 minutes typing up what I said, what he said, and the current situation, because I felt like I was losing my mind. And that's what gaslighting will do. If someone tells you, oh, that's not what I meant, and they have to change the story, you only do that so many times before the person you're talking to gets totally lost, and, and you forget what the situation even was to begin with. So having that massive paper trail, it literally doubled the amount of work that I did in the office, but it was a key in me keeping a coherent story running with them. Because when you, you when I talked to this guy, he would also say, oh, that's not what I said. Or he would take the approach of, okay, Grant, he would send an email and summarize our interactions. And I don't know who he was doing that for, but he was probably creating his own paper trail, probably to take me down uh, in response to my attempts to manage him better. So anyways, um, he would send me an email back and then he would say, when we talked about XYZ, which was not what we had talked about at all. So he was trying to control the narrative is what that's called uh, by telling me what happened in, in writing so that it looks official and uh, appears to be what we had talked about. And so I had to respond to him in turn. Every email he sent to me over this course of nine months, I would reply to. I would save these off onto um, a, a private drive in case it ever came up later. My expectation was as I was, as I was managing this guy, and working him into a performance improvement plan, which is teeing him up to go through a process of me firing him because he wasn't improving and, and hitting the goals and the new new bars that I was set establishing for him as a leader on my team. I was expecting him to go through this whole process and then probably sue me, take me to court and try and get his job back. So as a manager going through this situation, like it is dangerous for me because it puts my job on the line for managing this, this guy who doesn't know how to do his job, but it also puts my, uh, my job on the line because he could take me to court and claim that I wrongfully terminated him. I don't know if he would have won that case. I had a, a very good documentation because by the time I dealt with this guy, I mean, this is, this is just muscle memory at this point in time for me in my career, managing folks like this. Uh, so I knew what to do going into this engagement with him. Uh, this was not my first time dealing with one of these guys. 
So anyways, nine months long, this process of me documenting, I worked so many extra hours just because I was trying to do what was right for the engineers on my team and get this bad leader out of position or to legitimately help him improve and get on the same page with what modern leadership looks like in a creative profession like software engineering. You cannot control people to the level he was trying to control them. So either outcome would have been fine with me. Either he leaves of his own accord because he realizes he's not going to be able to do the job um, or he fires or he improves. Any of those are, are good outcomes in my opinion because at the end of the day, getting the engineers a manager who respects them was the goal. And uh, I would have loved if this guy had just got on the same page and learned how to respect people. But unfortunately, life isn't that easy. Rolling this back to the beginning. So the first month or two, I kind of played it easy. Uh, what I would do was go into one-on-ones and we would talk about the issues. I would bring up the concerns and I was trying to get on the same page with him, um, at least have a coherent story. And I was documenting it. Eventually, I put him up on a... Um, a formal, hey, here's your notice, you need to improve and get better. Now, that's not performance improvement plan. That was just a formal notification of, hey, man, I'm looking at your performance now. Once that happened, he started getting real worried. So he was going over my head to not just my boss, but my boss's boss and trying to spin a story of how I don't appreciate him. He's the victim, right? There's that Darvo pattern uh, because he's being put under pressure. He's trying to control the narrative and look like the victim and make me look like the person who doesn't know how to do their job. And thankfully, my leaders knew me. They knew that um, the story they were hearing from this other guy uh, didn't quite smell right, didn't make sense. And so what they would do is after he kind of said his story, uh, they would come and confirm with me. And uh, I had already added these folks on my running documentation of interactions with this person. Before he ever escalated to my leaders, I had already informed my leaders of the path I was going down. They were aware of the situation. We had all been in agreement and alignment that this guy needed to be performance managed. And so before I ever took the first step of formally managing this guy, uh, I already had my leadership chain of commands buy-in on going down that direction. And so it doesn't matter what stories this guy was, was making up and telling them, we, we already were on the same page with a coherent story and understanding of what was actually going down. And so it made it even funnier to me to kind of see this dude go around my back and make up a fake story and try and sell that up the chain because uh, he didn't know that we all knew what he was doing. So just a, I got a little chuckle out of that, even though it is like a legitimately dangerous position for me to be in, knowing that um, uh, this guy was a narcissist and he's fighting tooth and nail to not just keep his job, but he wanted to be promoted. So I'll get to that point. So that was what happened the first couple of months. And then the formal um, bar of, hey, hey, dude, you're going to get performance managers got set. He, he went nuts, but he only went up a couple of levels in the leadership chain above me. He didn't go any further than that because he thought once he did that, it was over with. Well, the next round is formal performance improvement plan. Uh, there's a document that I had to put together with our HR group that kind of said, hey, here's what you're doing. Here's how it's not acceptable and is, is not meeting the standards for doing your job. And here's how you have to improve. And I had this multiple pages of here's where you're failing, here's how to improve, kind of set down. And I gave him, I was like, hey man, we're going to work on this. You have three months to improve. 
So this is your plan. You and I are gonna meet once a week. We're gonna talk about this. I'm gonna summarize your progress that you are or aren't making on these goals. And then um, at the end of these three months, then we'll make a decision on what to do with you in your career, whether you will remain here if you've improved sufficiently, or if you haven't, um, we will get rid of you. So that is an awkward conversation to have as a manager. So if you're considering the management track and you don't want to do those things, please don't go into management. It's the only way sometimes to make things better for people on your teams um, by managing people out, uh, such as this guy who is a bad leader who is in a position of authority over other people's careers. That is a position of trust and responsibility. If you can't do that job, you shouldn't stay in that job class. So anyways... Once he got put on his formal improvement plan, then he he just went through the roof. Uh, it was it was just all the claws came out. This guy didn't just skip over me to my boss and their boss. He went all the way up to the chief officer of the company. Uh, well, at least the the chief information officer and their senior vice president. This guy just without being asked, he just puts time on their calendar, meets with them and complains how I am the worst person in the entire world, how he is a victim and how he not only deserves to be a manager, he deserves to be a senior director. Like he wants, it was absolutely hilariously bizarre to hear secondhand that this is what this guy did. He basically ran into the CEO's office and said, hey, I deserve four promotions because I'm a victim and I'm doing a much better job than I'm getting credit for. And that was a result of him being put on this formal improvement plan. That absolutely did not go anywhere. Uh, it was shot down immediately by the senior vice president who came and informed me what had happened and said, hey, Grant, don't worry. We have read all of the documents and the details. We know what is happening and you have our blessing to continue doing what you're doing because you're doing it well. And uh, all of us, I mean, you know, I don't want to be flippant about this situation. In hindsight, it's a little entertaining to me, but when I was going through it, it was very stressful. And every single person from me up through to the chief officer we all wanted this guy to improve, to get into alignment with our understanding of what leadership looks like, to live the core values of our company, uh, to help the engineers on the team enjoy what they were doing and produce things of value. It really isn't that hard of a thing to do, but in order to make that come into reality, sometimes you have to sacrifice and do what's good for other people. That is a trait a narcissist does not have because they don't care about other people. It's all about them. So I share this story with you just to give you an idea of what it's like. Um, I don't know if uh, how many people listening to this podcast have managed managers. It is a, uh, a different experience. But if you've worked with a narcissist or not, um, I just want to share that story with you so that you can understand that the more a narcissist gets put in the corner, the more their claws come out and it does not get better. Uh, at the end of, the, of my story here, I, I did forget to mention that this guy quit the week that I was going to fire him. I had the, the thing on the calendar, and what he does is he sets up time with me the, the, during that week, and he's like, hey, Grant, I just want to let you know that uh, I'm resigning. I've taken a new position uh, at another company. <laughs> and I, I just laugh and, and smile. I'm like, congratulations. It's been great working with you. 
And uh, he says, I'm not going to be putting in my two-week notice. I was like, I understand that. And so we just kind of worked through the situation, and he left. He never had to get fired, uh, which, you know, after going through a nine-month process like that, it was honestly disheartening for me because I knew at that point in time I was doing the right thing for the engineers and the company and for myself, and I put in so much effort the end goal, the the outcome here of this man not working at the same company as me and not being in charge of my teams, that was achieved regardless of whether or not he quit or was fired. But it would have been nice to actually finally follow through with the plan that I had been working on for nine months and feel like I had done the right thing and not to have him at the last minute kind of take that from me and feel as though he's in control of the situation again. I didn't get fired. I quit. It's a classic line. But at least he no longer is in charge of people's careers. He is no longer a topic of conversation at their dinner tables. He is no longer contributing to them having a good day or a bad day, at least not on my team. And I can feel good knowing that the uh, person I replaced him with did a great job managing that team. So it was uh, definitely a change for the better. I hope you enjoyed hearing that story. I did not enjoy going through it. But in hindsight, it is a uh, an entertaining story, I think, one that I look back on fondly because those scenarios are the ones that shape us into who we are. I knew immediately this man was a narcissist. I knew it was going to be painful to confront him. I knew that he was not going to change. This is not my first rodeo. And I chose deliberately to go down the path that I went down, knowing what the outcome was going to be, and knowing how difficult of a process it was going to be. But that was the right thing to do. And so, in my opinion, I didn't have any other options. Uh, I couldn't be lazy and just let him get away with treating people poorly. That wasn't my responsibility to do something about it. And so, that's what I did. And also, how many times do you get to hear the story of a manager being performance managed? I think this is a, a rarity. I don't know if I've ever heard of it in my entire career happening realistically. And so I guess uh, there you go. There's the, the time you're going to hear about it, uh, however rare it is. So sometimes bad managers do get fired. And on that upbeat, positive note, I guess I should probably wrap this episode up. It is starting to get a little long compared to the other ones that I have made. But I hope you got value out of this. Hearing my story, that's uh, kind of where the theory meets the practice or or the rubber meets the road. So I have had to put these skills into practice many times throughout my career. It has also helped me in my personal life to know how to engage with people in uh, volunteer organizations that I'm a part of. Um, But I hope that you have learned a little bit through covering the topic of, of narcissism, patterns of abuse, and then hearing about the situation I went through personally. And the best advice I can give you is learn how to identify these people because once you do, then you know how you can engage with them. You're never going to win because there are no winners when you work with a narcissist. So what you can do is try and protect yourself and isolate yourself from any shenanigans they may, may try and pull to control you or your situation. If you happen to be trapped right now, stuck dealing with a narcissist and want to kind of share your story with me and get my thoughts, you are more than welcome to reach out to me. I would also love it if you would just become a patron and join my Discord server and then we can chat kind of forever about this stuff as much as you want. That is my goal. 
to share information with you all so that you can learn and uh, I don't just take all of this knowledge with me to my grave. In the process, if you could help support me to grow this podcast, bring on other interesting voices, and just generally do more, uh, I would be forever grateful because I love doing this stuff. I would like to do more of it, but time and money are luxuries. So if you like the stuff that I do, then I'm opening the door here to uh, do more of it uh, because it is a blast. I enjoy interacting with all of you. So don't be a stranger. Uh, Email me at hello at grantdryden.com. Tweet me at tweets of grant or visit my Patreon at grantdryden.com slash Patreon. I look forward to hearing more from you all and talking again soon. I'll see you next time.